everyone. I'm Gina March of the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women in Kirkwood. We've been caring for elderly, blind, and visually impaired women since 1866. You are listening to the Aging Answers Show, trends, tips, and topics for the 65-plus crowd. We're on the air every Monday from 1 to 1.30 with an encore broadcast each Friday from 1.30 to 2. My guest today is attorney Stephanie Martinez of the Estate Planner LLC. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Hey, what kind of law do you practice, Stephanie? So I'm an estate planner, wills, trusts, powers of attorney, and I also do elder law and special needs planning. So what exactly is elder law? Elder law is one of those legal catchphrases that encompasses many things. It can include planning for long-term care. It can include planning for Medicaid. It can include planning for special needs. And it's all about helping people as they age be sure that they're taking care of themselves and any legal needs that they might have. So... Why an attorney gets involved in that is because of the legal documents that these things require? Absolutely. The legal documents and then helping people figure out how to manage resources and take advantage of government benefits that might be available to them. I see. So what kinds of things exactly can you do for a client? Why would a client uh, reach out to you? There are a number of things that an estate planning attorney can do. The first sort of basic, if you will, is just make sure that somebody has a will or a trust, powers of attorney, documents in place that will make sure if they're incapacitated, they can, they're taken care of, and also make sure that once they pass, and the fact is we're not getting off this round planet alive, that once we pass, things, our assets pass the way we want them to. So I heard you use the word trust. I know what a trust is, but I'm sure a lot of people probably don't. Can you explain how a trust is different than a will? Yes. So a will is basic planning document that says, here is how I want things to pass when I die. A will has to go through the probate process. It's publicly available, and it doesn't provide for very much flexibility. A trust, on the other hand, is essentially a contract. And to help people visualize a trust, I look at it as a treasure chest. If it's a revocable trust, you hold the key to it, and you can put things in it, and you can take things out of it. But you also are able to specify how you want things distributed on your passing. And you can put in all kinds of things to protect your loved ones and to make sure things pass in various ways that you want. Then there's also another type of trust, which is an irrevocable trust. And I look at this as a trust where probably somebody else has the key to it and you put things into it and there's limits on the way things can come out. So hopefully that helps. They're complex documents, but they really do great things for people. So is there a financial benefit of having a trust in place rather than just a will? There is a very good question. There are a variety of financial benefits to having a trust, you know, and it really depends on the facts and circumstances of each person that walks in the door. So for example, let's say I have a family and it's a it's an older family and what they're concerned about, maybe they have a child who they're concerned about protecting because they have a substance abuse issue. And so what that family wants to do, an older family, they know 
they need to protect this child who may be even a an older child, they don't want money going to that child outright. They can set that money up in a trust for the child so that the child actually gets that money in a trust when they pass and there's somebody sort of managing how that money is distributed to the child. This can also be done for somebody with special needs. So for example, for the women at, at Mary Culver, if they were to have a trust set up for them, there could be a special needs trust or there could be somebody else managing that trust so that there's control over how the assets are distributed. All right, thank you, thank you. Now, how long have you been practicing law? I started practicing law in 1992, um, and I started out as a trial lawyer and have worked on both coasts, and I've done everything from trial work to corporate work, managing initial public offerings in Silicon Valley during that first crazy tech tech bubble. I don't know if anybody listening remembers the sock puppet and a variety of, I think that was pets.com, but anyway... And I've, I've done all kinds of things, and I turned to estate planning and elder law because I can really help my clients very individually. And I had a family experience where some Medicaid planning made a huge difference in my grandmother's life. Tell us a little bit more about that if you want to. I, I would love to. And this is, you know, when we start talking about trusts, they're so It's so individual and so family-oriented. It's hard to talk about them in a vacuum. But with my grandmother, she didn't have, doesn't have a ton of assets. So she had maybe $120,000, which is still a lot. But when you're talking about end-of-life planning and you're talking about going into a nursing home that may cost $9,000 a year, that's not enough to live on for very long. And what the attorneys were able to do for her they were able to set aside enough money to pay for her expenses at the nursing home which eventually allowed her to qualify for Medicaid and then they prepared an irrevocable trust that treasure chest that somebody else had the key to and her son was able to take money out and then gift it to her to do things like pay for a private room pay for her hair to get done and Medicaid actually picked up the piece of the picked up the big nursing home piece so that $8,000 a month that she really wasn't going to be able to pay for but we were able to set aside a little bit of money to make her life better and it made such a difference in her life and in her family's life. So that was the impetus for you to kind of switch the Type yes. of law you were practicing. <laughs> yes, that was the impetus uh, for me to focus on the um, the elder law piece and the special needs piece, too. Well, you um, mentioned to me off air that having a power of attorney is the most important document that someone should have. Now, tell everybody what that is and why that's so important. So, powers of attorney. Just they can make a huge difference in your life. And there's two different kinds. So I'm going to give you a sort of a global picture, Gina, of what that power of attorney does. And then we can talk about the different ones. And, and I will say to everyone, you know, I know that estate planning is not inexpensive. I think it is so important to get done. But the most important 
documents you can have are those powers of attorney. So what the power of attorney does, you've got two different kinds. You've got a healthcare power of attorney. So you have somebody making decisions if you can't make decisions about your health. And you have a durable power of attorney, which is a power of attorney that lets somebody make financial decisions for you, sign documents for you. And essentially, the reason those documents are so important is if you're not able to make healthcare decisions for yourself or to make financial decisions for yourself or to sign documents, you want to have appointed ahead of time before you can't appoint somebody, those people that you know will take good care of you and take good care of your finances. Is that usually the same person? That is an excellent question. It really varies. I have so many families come to me that say, and even in, in my own planning, um, you know, the person who can manage money well is different than the person who we want making healthcare decisions for us, right? Because my, you know, a sister who may, so in my case, I have two beloved sisters who I care so much about, but they're very different and they have very different skills and different personalities. And one of them is this, um, she's wildly successful in her business and she was a CPA and she's the woman who I want handling the finances for me. My other sister who is also very successful and also very smart money-wise, but she's she's more of a nurturer, carer, although if they're listening to this, they're not going to be happy with either of those descriptions. So, I'm sorry sisters, but she's the she's the sister that I would have that I want to be first in line making those healthcare decisions. And Many, in many families, that's the case. Somebody who's the nurturer may not be the person that's great with finances. Or, you know, occasionally everybody's good. But it just, it really varies. Okay, thank you. So what are some of the other documents that everyone, especially seniors, should have in place? So so we talk about that health care power of attorney, very important. With that healthcare power of attorney, we want a living will or a healthcare directive. And that's the document that says, what happens if I am, am incapacitated, but so incapacitated, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pull out of it. The only way I'm going to be kept alive is if I'm on life support. That's the document that says, I don't want you to keep me on life support if I'm not going to live through it. And it allows somebody to make those decisions for you. So your living will, your healthcare power of attorney, your durable power of attorney. Also, we need HIPAA releases under the new new laws. They're relatively new, and those HIPAA releases let us um, give information to other people, uh, medical information about us to other people that they might need. Um, everyone at a minimum needs a will. I lots of times recommend a trust, but everyone needs a will. And even if you don't have a will or you don't have a trust, take a look at your beneficiary designations. So important too. Great. Thank you so much. This is uh, really helpful. Uh, what I am hearing you say is that... Um, Everyone should have a lawyer <laughs> to help you set up these important documents. We're going to take a break now. Um, you've been listening to the Aging Answers Show. I'm your host, Gina March, and with the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women. 
We've been listening to Stephanie Martinez of the Estate Planner LLC. And when we come back, we're going to have a lot more information about all those legal documents you should have. with Stephanie Martinez of the Estate Planner LLC, and we've been having a great conversation about legal documents that are very important, especially as you age. Um, Now, here's a question for you. What happens if I don't have anything in place? So it is a good question. And the first thing to understand is that we do have things that pass automatically by contract. So for example, if I have accounts that have beneficiaries designated, like my checking account, I may have a beneficiary designated. That account will automatically go to that beneficiary. Or let's say I have an account with a joint tenant. That account's automatically going to go to that joint tenant. Some of my things may already be taken care of, but the vast majority of my assets, especially if I don't have a beneficiary designated, they're going to have to pass through the probate process, and that can be an expensive and lengthy process that goes through the courts, and it's just not something that, to the extent we plan ahead, which we should be doing, it's something we would really like to avoid. So tell me more about this probate court. It can be. So if I have enough assets that I can't file a a small estate, it can take months and months and months for my assets to get collected and distributed appropriately and can go to the right person. And the problem with that, too, is that I may have to hire lawyers to do that. And let's say... I have, um, you know, 100,000, 200,000, maybe more in assets, that lawyer is going to get a percentage of that to pay them for their fees. So not, not only are you going to have to pay a lawyer to help walk your heirs through that probate process, but it's going to take a long time, which is why we really recommend that some that you sit down with the lawyer and think about how you want your assets to pass once you die. It makes things so much easier. So it sounds like if you don't have um, a will in place, a lot of your money will end up in lawyers' pockets and not to your family. Well, because people have to be paid for their time. Of course. Right, and it's just a time-consuming process. And you're not doing the kind of planning that you might want to do. So for example, if you have a, maybe you have somebody who's disabled in your family who would be getting some of the money that you have once you pass, that person, if they get an inheritance, they may no longer be able to qualify for their government benefits. So we want to think about how we're going to plan so that inheritance goes to the people that we want it to go to in the way that we want it to go. Another kind of planning that we do is if we have family members that we don't want to have a large pocket of money right away. Maybe I don't want to give somebody 
even $50,000 to manage on their own because they're going to take it to the boats and spend it there. Or they're, they're going to buy a new car that they don't need when instead maybe they should be investing in a house or investing in a college education. So planning ahead helps us plan to take care of our heirs or our loved ones in a way that will benefit them and in a way that, in the way that we would want to help them. So you mentioned earlier uh, these powers of attorney. I, I was thinking about that, so I wanted to go back to it. Um, how do you actually go about picking your health care uh, power of attorney, and, and what kind of decisions are they able to make on your behalf? So that's a super important question, Gina, and that sort of goes into that whole planning piece, and the question is, not only who do you want to make healthcare decisions for you, but who do you want to make financial decisions for you? So when we're looking at who we want to make those healthcare decisions for us, we're thinking about a number of things. So first of all, we're thinking about the power that this person has. So this person is really the one who is going to decide, and I hate to use this word, but it's, I think people understand it, who's going to decide to take us off of life support, who's going to decide to pull the plug if that's what we really want. And, you know, some of our family members are not going to be comfortable following our true wishes because that's a hard decision to make. So when you're choosing that healthcare attorney, you want somebody who will follow your wishes regardless of the circumstances. You also want somebody who can be strong with doctors and nurses and really stick up for what they think you would want. And then, of course, you want somebody who's caring and compassionate and will think about how to make your life, you know, if you're in, let's say you're, you know, end of care kind of time, who will to, who will want to make your life easier, whether it's through pain medication or just helping you through those last moments, if that's what we're looking at. So um, I have an, uh, an embarrassing thing to admit. Um, my husband and I have a trust and we have a power of attorney, but I think we've never told her that she's our power of attorney, uh, our durable power of attorney. Um, does that happen often? That does happen often. And it, it's it's so interesting because it's very generational. You know, our generations um, in this country have, we deal with things differently. And so our um, and people, you know, kind of in there, and we, I don't even know what the term is. So we've got boomers and we've got Generation X. and But a lot of people in that boomer age and older we're still in that place where we're not necessarily comfortable talking about end of life, not comfortable talking about financial decisions. So it is not unusual. And I would say it's really important to let somebody know that you have chosen them because if they need to step in, they need to know that they're going to need to step in. And we also want to let them know, you know, if I need to step in for you, if I need to make financial decisions, where are your bank accounts? Who's your financial advisor? Who's, who has your life insurance? It's just so helpful for those people to know, or at least to know where to find that information in your house. And I suppose with all of the passwords that we all have these days, I guess that's another thing that people should be prepared 
to leave behind for people to find, right? Yes. So this is this actually, it's an interesting question, and it kind of becomes controversial because when it comes right down to it, if somebody's actually passed away, it's illegal to use their passwords to get into their account. On the other hand, we need to make some practical decisions and take care of some practical things. So sometimes we just need to get things done and we do need to know where passwords are and we do need to be able to find accounts and we just need to handle things. So having a notebook or having a place where those passwords are accessible, yes, there are organizations out there. So digital assets, of course, have become a huge deal. And when we talk about digital assets, we're talking about everything from Facebook to those photos you have saved on your cameras. And there are all kinds of rules and regulations about who really owns those. So there's been a lot of litigation and controversy over what happens when somebody passes away. Can I, so if my mom passes away, can I get her pictures? And it really depends. There have been new laws on the issue. Estate planning documents, especially newer ones, will have very specific provisions about all of that. Super important questions. So when is a good time for someone to start thinking about getting a will written, getting a trust together, making decisions like what you've been talking about? That is a really good question. So I'm going to start with the with the lawyer answer, which is, for example, for my 18-year-old, guess what? Before he goes to college this fall, he's going to have a healthcare power of attorney. He's going to have a durable power of attorney, and he is going to have a will. Why? Because if he ends up in the emergency room in San Antonio or wherever he ends up going to school, I want to be able to call the hospital and say, this is his mom. I have a healthcare power of attorney. I need information about how he is. And without those documents, they're not going to give me information because they don't know me. So I would start really early. But also, you know, as you're thinking about your life, first of all, you always need powers of attorney once you're 18, super critical documents. But think about life transitions. So for example, you get married and you have a child. You start thinking about who's going to be the guardian of my child. Well, guess what? If both parents pass away, the court's going to appoint that guardian. You're retiring or you're, you've, something else has happened. You're divorced. Any kind of life transition, you really need to think about what your estate planning documents are and you need to be sure you have something together that works for your life. I say every stage of life, we need to be thinking and planning for incapacity and planning for end of life. So even if you have a child who's still a dependent, is it important for that child to know your plans or to know where documents are? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially I, you know, I want my children to know where my documents are. And importantly for my child that's 18, that's still a dependent, I want him or her to have their own documents. All right. Very important stuff. You've got me thinking. So Stephanie, if people want to reach out to you, give you a call or whatever, what is your phone number and website? So my office phone number for the Estate Planner LLC is 
3218. And my website is www.theestateplannerllc.com. I'd love to speak with you, hear your questions. Um, we're, we're here to help. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us today. This has been very, very helpful. I hope you join us again sometime. You've been listening to the Aging Answers Show. My name is Gina March. I'm with the Mary Culver Home for Visually Impaired Women, caring for blind and visually impaired women since 1866. I hope you join us next week. Uh, we air every Monday from 1, 1 to 1.30 with an encore broadcast each Friday from 1.30 to 2. Thank you again, and we hope you listen to us next week.